We're starting a new series talking about money and handling it God's way. A lot of people struggle with finances because they don't know what the Bible says. And I've learned over time that there are some pastors that they avoid talking about money because it makes them feel uncomfortable. And honestly, it's the people in the room who make them feel uncomfortable. Every time I tell someone I'm gonna talk about money, I always see some couples in the room, they're like, should we go? I'm like, I can see you. I mean, we need to not be feeling awkward when it comes to talking about anything that's really in God's word. We shouldn't shy away from it. We shouldn't feel awkward talking about anything that's in the Bible. We shouldn't avoid anything that's in the Bible. Even the parts that sometimes make us feel uncomfortable, especially the parts that make us feel uncomfortable, right? And so tonight I wanna to start out talking to you about dollars and cents. I want this to be a really practical sermon to help you in your finances. This is really about what God wants for you. And not everybody knows these things. For some of you, this is going to be uh, maybe basic or a reminder. For others of you, this could be the first time you've heard biblical wisdom about how to handle your finances. God's word is powerful and true, and it's our guide. It's amazing to me how oftentimes we'll struggle in life because we don't know what God's word says. We spend so much time going to school as kids. We grew up in school learning all kinds of useless information <laughs> about the Ming Dynasty and the Pythagorean theory and, and, and you know the table of elements. And yet we oftentimes we didn't learn about finances and how to handle finances. And so people struggle. They grow up, they get jobs, they earn dollars, but they don't have cents. And some of the symptoms of that. Uh, people suffer from a disease called stuffitis. They constantly accumulate stuff and they think that stuff will make them happy and so they buy and there's a temporary thrill but then that fades and so they you know, repeat the process consuming more and more but feeling less and less satisfaction along the way. People experience stress over bills. You know, how are we gonna pay these bills? And that leads to fights in the family when you live paycheck to paycheck and you don't have savings, it, it's stressful. A lot of people, they get in debt and they struggle with debt. You know, they, they buy things on a whim, giving into instant gratification. They live beyond their means, and that just leads to being overwhelmed by debt. And then, unfortunately, for a lot of people, giving to others becomes an afterthought. People think, you know, someday I wanna be generous and I wanna give when I get my finances in order. The problem is they never get their finances in order because they never handle their money God's way. Proverbs 29, 18 says this. When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild, but whoever obeys the law is joyful. Some of you, your finances are wild. Your credit cards uh, are wild, right? How you spend, your debt load, everything, it's wild. And it could be because you haven't accepted God's divine guidance for how to handle your finances. There's something better available to you. There's a better way than that. If you'll handle your money God's way, you'll find that he leads you into blessing and peace and joy and satisfaction. When you handle your money the world's way, you get what the world has to offer. Debt, despair, disappointment. So we wanna do it God's way. God's word is filled with wisdom for how to handle our finances. Jesus actually talked about money more than heaven. Jesus talked about money more than hell. For everyone that thinks, you know, we shouldn't talk about money in church. Well, tell that to Jesus. <laughs> Proverbs is called the book of wisdom, happened to be mostly written by a guy named Solomon, perhaps the richest man 
but definitely the wisest man who's ever lived. That's not a coincidence that he's the richest and the wisest man. Richer than Bezos and Musk and Warren Buffett, right? Yet that's just one more reason we should read the Bible because a Proverbs a day keeps poverty away. If you just knew what the Bible said, it would help you. In Proverbs 21, verse five, it says, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. You need a good plan and you need to work hard. Stop looking for a shortcut. This is something a lot of people struggle with. You know, they think, if I just won the lottery, that would fix all my money problems. If I just got an inheritance from a long-lost uncle in Switzerland, that would solve my money problems. If I could just strike it rich, day trading GameStop on Robinhood, that would solve all my money problems. But it doesn't, it leads to poverty. If you got some big load of money all of a sudden, it wouldn't solve your money problems. It wouldn't. Because if you don't handle your money's, money God's way, more money just magnifies your money problems. That's actually what happens. I don't have to prove it because there's already so much evidence. Lottery winners, athletes, celebrities, movie stars, right? They get so much money, but they never get wisdom. Successful people will sometimes tell you, you know, there's no shortcuts in life. The truth is, there actually are some shortcuts. There are shortcuts to wisdom. You can read God's word and instantly gain more wisdom than you could in 100 lifetimes. You can gain wisdom, not from a smart man, but from an all-knowing God who also happens to love you and want the best for you. So how many of you want to handle money God's way? Like, I don't, I don't, know, I don't think I want to try the hard way. I want to do it God's way. I want to start out by making you this promise. Not once in this series am I going to tell you what to do with your money. It says this in Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. In Job, God says this, everything under heaven is mine. I'm not going to tell you what to do with your money. I am going to talk about what to do with God's money. See, if we were talking about your money, I'd have no place to say anything about it. But because we're talking about God's money, he has every right to speak to how you should handle it. See, what this passage says, God says this multiple times throughout Scripture. I could have given you more examples of this. He says, everything is mine. Everything is mine. So as a Christian who believes God's word, we know that means everything is God's, including the money in your bank account. It's not actually your money. It's God's money, and he has temporarily entrusted it to you as a manager, as a steward to care for it. The parables and the lessons that Jesus taught about money What he implies is that it's God's and he has entrusted it to you to take care of it properly. So I will talk to you about what to do with God's money. I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about your your house, if you have a house. Think about your stuff, your car. Think about your, your bank accounts, big or small, everything in between. Think about all your stuff, right? And then for a moment, just just really think about it in your own heart. Do you really believe that it's all God's? Do you, do you really believe that? Okay, like really? Do you really believe that it's all God's? It is, but sometimes we forget. Sometimes we get confused by the name on the bank statement. No, no, it's mine. No, 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 it's God's. And that is the key to 
handling your finances God's way is you gotta start out remembering always it all comes from God and it belongs to God. So I'm gonna give you some practical steps in this message. If you're taking notes, you can write these things down. There are some steps I wanna go through about how to handle money God's way. Step one, first is give back, put God first. We give back to God, the one who gave us everything. That's how we put him first. Now, I'll just be honest, from a public relations perspective, from a human perspective, I'd rather just skip this point. I would rather not have to start with this. I'd rather come back to it later after I've warmed you up a little. But I can't, right? Because I'm not talking about how to handle money my way. I'm talking about how to handle money God's way. And there's only one place for God in the life of a Christian. God's place is first place. God does not belong in any other place. If he's not in first place, he's not God. He's not your God, at least. He belongs in first place. Proverbs 3.9 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits. Say first fruits. We're gonna get fruity. Of everything you produce, then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine, not cheap wine, good wine, for those of you who care about that kind of thing. What this says, there's a way to honor the Lord with your wealth. That means conversely, there's a way to dishonor the Lord with your wealth. How do you honor him? You gotta bring him the first fruits. In Hebrew, this is the word reshith. Reshith, it means first, the beginning, the choice part. That means like if you got a hunk of beef, God's portion is the filet mignon. Don't give him that ground beef, that, that flank steak. No, 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 no. He wants the filet. If you got a cake, God's portion is the first slice. You got a crop, God gets the best of the crop. Why? Because he's God. That's how we honor him, by giving him the best. You don't honor him by giving him leftovers. You give him the best. And then there's a promise attached to this. When you honor God with any part of your life, and also with your finances, he will bless you. He, he will bless you. You see, your barns will be filled. Your vats will overflow. What, what does that mean? That's a way of saying he's going to bless you beyond what you can contain. He's going to bless you beyond what you planned for, beyond what you hoped for, because that's what he does. He's God. He blesses those who honor him. Let me just get us all on the same page. When we talk about first fruits, what it looks like, we often use the word tithing in church. Tithing is something that I think all Christians are called to do. That's the first fruits. And, and what does it mean to tithe? Tithing is the first 10%. The Bible's very clear about this. The word tithe, it means 10th. It's the first 10th, the first fruits, the best part. That portion is God's and we bring it to him. Let's just make it real practical, okay? If you make $1,000 a week, your tithe is $100. I know, this is complex. It's amazing. I just pulled that math off the top of my head like that. Um, not all giving is a tithe. I think this is important. We get our terminology right. Words matter. Words mean things. Not all giving is a tithe. If you make $1,000 a week and you give God $20, that's not a tithe. That's a tip. <laughs> Do tip your servers. Don't tip your Savior. He deserves better than that. He deserves the best portion, not an afterthought, not a token. He deserves the best because he's God and he's given us everything. Some people think, I couldn't do that. I can't afford to do that. I'm not rich. You, first off, I would say can't afford not to do this. Second of all, I would say 
this is really something that everyone can do because it's the same for everyone. Whether you're a millionaire or you make minimum wage, everyone can afford to do this because it's the first thing you do, 10%. It's very fair, the system God set up. It's 10% for everyone. If you're a millionaire, man, that's, that's a lot. That's a, that's a big 10%. If you make minimum wage, it's still 10%. It's something that God has established for all of us. It's not about your income level. It's about your faith level. You don't even actually need a lot of faith to do this. You just need 10% of faith <laughs> in order to do this. There are some reasons you should, and I'll explain these in more detail in later weeks, but one of the reasons you should tithe is because it's how we honor God with our wealth, and that's very important in and of itself. But then God is so good to us that throughout his word, he actually gives us a lot of the benefits for obeying him. He lays it out for us. He doesn't have to. He could have just been like, do it or else. But he doesn't do that. He loves us. So he tells us what's in it for us. He says, if you do this, it's going to result in supernatural blessing. That's a blessing that goes beyond math or human reasoning. It results in supernatural preservation of your wealth. God says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll never have a setback, but it means God's always gonna be protecting you. And then it says this, tithing builds your faith. I want you to understand this. It's not the finish line, it's a key that opens a door to ever-increasing faith. And you're gonna see that as you begin to trust God with something so sensitive like your finances, your entire faith is gonna blossom and your relationship with the Lord is gonna grow in ways you didn't expect. If you handle money like the world, you're gonna get the natural results of doing that. But if you handle money God's way, you'll experience the supernatural results of doing that. I wanna give you a little pro tip, a little pastor tip here. This is my encouragement for you, okay? When you think about tithing, please, don't think about it like paying a bill. It's not a bill to be paid. It's not taxes that you owe God. This isn't Christianity tax, okay? It's not, it's not how it works. Think about the difference, right? Like taxes, you earn money, and then the government takes it from you, or else they'll take you to jail. You have no choice. Tithing is different. Tithing, God already saved you. He already loves you. And then he gives you everything that you have. And then when we tithe, we willingly bring back to him the first 10% just to show him that we're grateful and how much he means to us. We willingly bring it back like, God, you're my God, you're my provider. I'm bringing this back to you to show you that I trust you to continue providing for me on an ongoing basis because you're good like that. I'm gonna worship you with my mouth, but I'm also gonna worship you with my bank account because you've been so faithful to me. I'm not holding anything back. So this is step one, is give back to God, put him first. Step two is this, pay your future self by saving. God tells us to save. And so I think you should shoot for 10 to 15% of your income being saved on a regular ongoing basis. Proverbs 21, 19 says, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. So I don't need to convince you that you should save, but I do wanna to try to convince you that you can save. Because some people will be like, well, yeah, obviously I wanna save, but I can't. I don't have any money to save. I get that. If you can't afford to save, there are only two options. You either make more or you spend less. Both are options. Some of you are like, well, I don't make that much. But think about this. If you make at least $35,000, you're in the top 1% of earners in the world. 
So by the Bible's definition, you're rich. Congratulations. But then overspending is just as big of a problem. Most people don't have an income problem. They have a spending problem. According to research, the average American spends $1,497 a month on non-essential items. That's $18,000 a year. Things like restaurant meals, drinks, takeout, buying their lunch, impulse purchases, ride sharing, personal grooming, subscription boxes, cable, online shopping, gym memberships, paid apps, TV or movie streaming services, music streaming, coffee, bottle, water. Right? Some people live in rich people lifestyle, but they got poor people paychecks. And then they turn around like, I can't afford to save. Well, there's a problem here. You need to save, right? Because you never know when you might lose a job. But you do know what it feels like if you lose a job without having any savings to fall back on. It does not feel good. And I just gotta be real. This isn't political, this is biblical. But God never said it's the government's responsibility to give you money in a crisis. (laughs) By all means, if they send you a check, you might as well cash that thing, right? But... (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying don't cash it. (laughs) He did say, God does say it's your responsibility to save. You shouldn't need it because you should save. Proverbs 6 verse 8 says this, take a lesson from the ants. We're talking about insects, not your auntie. Insects. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. No one has to tell them to save. They just do it because it's hardwired into their DNA because God just established this as a principle for everyone, really. Like, you should save in the good times so that you have something in the bad times. I would encourage you to have an emergency fund. That would be three to nine months worth of expenses saved in cash. It's an emergency fund. That means it's for emergencies, A sale is not an emergency, okay? (laughs) It's for emergencies. If you have an unpredictable job or a seasonal job, you might even need more than that. But here's what's awesome. If you have an emergency fund, you can sleep good even through an emergency, even through a recession. And and some people don't do this. They don't save, and you can get away with that when times are good, but it's going to come back to bite you when times are not good. So save. That's what wise people do. That's step two. Here's step three. Then you cover your basic needs. You first put God, take care, you take care of your responsibility to put God first, right? And then you save because that's a responsible thing to do. It's the wise thing to do. And then you start using the money that's left from there for your basic needs. Food, shelter, clothing, utilities, transportation, and insurance. And everyone knows they need food, shelter, and clothing. Let me touch on insurance. Y'all need insurance, you need health insurance, auto insurance, home insurance, renter's insurance, and life insurance. Yeah. Unless you are stupid rich, you need insurance. The more people who depend on you, the more you need it. And, and ter- everyone needs life insurance. You, you should get term life insurance policies and aim for 10 times your annual income. That's a good goal. So if you make $50,000 a year, get a $500,000 term life insurance policy. The younger you are, the better, because that makes it cheaper. And then as your income goes up, you can add more policies on top. That way, if something happens and people are depending on you, they'll be okay because a good man takes care of his family. So you need insurance. Nobody likes paying for it, but it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Amen. 
After you tithe and save and cover your basic needs, right, this is, this is what you do. You cover your basic needs here. Uh, I, I want to give you kind of some help with this, though, because I think there are some people that can sometimes get stuck financially or struggle. But that's because they never separate their needs from their wants. Yeah. Needs versus wants. You need food, shelter, and clothing. You want DoorDash and Netflix. Right. You don't need those things. You don't need to take out food. You don't need to get drinks with your girls at the, at the club, right? You don't need new clothes. You don't need golf clubs. You don't need boats. Some people don't know that. They don't get that, that there's a difference between needs and wants. They think, no, I do need those things to be happy. I need, I need those things. No, you don't. Stuff can't make you happy. Rich people will tell you stuff doesn't make you happy. In fact, that's one of the most depressing things that rich people go through. As I've talked to some very wealthy people over the years, it's not that they don't want to be wealthy, but they just learn the hard way that stuff definitely doesn't make you happy. Money doesn't make you happy. Paul says this in Philippians, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. This guy was in jail when he said this. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. Whatever. It's whatever. That means you look around your house, right? You think about all your stuff, and you go, I'm super grateful for what God's blessed me with. But spiritual maturity is when you say, even if I lost it all, I would still love Jesus, and I'd still have joy. Right? Church, if you have Jesus, you have everything you need. So I've got homework for you this week. I've got homework for you. Your homework is to determine your baseline survival budget. I want you to figure out if you lost it all, if you lost your job, right? If you stopped all unnecessary spending, right? No DoorDash, right? No Netflix, right? No subscription services. You're not going out and getting your hair did, right? I'm talking about your basics, like rent, utilities, food, the things you need to survive. What's that number? I need you to come up with a number. Because some of you already know it. Some of you know exactly what it is, down to the penny. Others of you have no idea. No idea. You're like, I don't even actually know. I just put money in the bank account and it all disappears. I don't know where it goes. <laughs> you need to figure, I'm going to quiz you next week. I'm going to see you in the lobby. I'm going to be like, what's your budget? <laughs> I want to know. I want you to figure it out. Because that then sets you up to continue experiencing success with your finances. Step four is then you start to pay off and avoid debt. So you're taking care of your basic needs. Once you're taking care of your basic needs, then if you've got debt, you wanna work to pay it off. Uh, and there's this idea in our culture that debt is normal or that it's even good, but there's really no debt that's actually good. There is some debt that is acceptable. Most people can handle a mortgage or a reasonable car payment. That's not a problem for a lot of people. The problem is when we go into debt for luxuries and vacations, and things that we can't afford. That's the problem. Some people, they, they spend money they don't have on things they don't need to impress people they don't know. And then they end up in debt. It's a struggle for a lot of people. You guys know that back in the day, the way that things used to work, some of you don't know this, you're, you're young. The way things used to work is when you wanted something, you would save up and then buy it. Did you know that? I learned this in a history book back in the day. <laughs> People used to save up and then buy stuff and never go into debt for it. Like you'd, you'd take it home and you'd be done paying for it. Did you know that this used to exist? 
It's amazing. You know what's awesome about doing things that way is it gives you time to think about if you actually want the thing that you're about to buy. The pro- you know, I'm not saying credit cards are evil, but they're dangerous. They can be dangerous. You can just swipe that card so fast. So fast. You see something, ooh, I like it, shiny. Swipe. Oh, that would look good on you. Swipe. Buy it. Just charge it. At least you'll get airline miles you can't use in 2020. Whoop. And this is a problem for some people. Like some people, you spend money just because you're bored. Some of you spend money because you're sad, and others because you're happy. And sometimes all three, right? Like you just whatever, whatever the occasion is. And then that leads to, to debt. In Proverbs 22, verse 7, it says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Well, you can't tell me that really debt's good when the Bible says the borrower is the slave of the lender. Some of you, I mean, you feel like a slave. Like you feel like you're going to work for MasterCard all week. You feel like you're going to work for Visa all week because that's what debt does. And so that's why God wants us to get out of debt. It has an effect on our mental and physical health. It leads to higher levels of anxiety, depression, relationship problems, higher blood pressure, lower immunity, headaches, back pain, and ulcers. Some of you are like, I know. (laughs) Listen, if you have a mountain of debt and you feel overwhelmed by it, you think maybe I can never pay this off, you can. You can. If you have a plan and you stick to it, it's not going to be easy, but you stick to it, you can do it. You can pay it off one step at a time. One bite at a time is how you eat an elephant, right? A lot of people have done it, and you can do it too. In Romans 13, it says, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. This is like my least favorite verse in the Bible. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. Pay to all what is owed to them. I thought we should read that because there's this unbiblical but politically popular idea in our culture right now that says we shouldn't have to pay off our own debts if it's inconvenient. Some people think it's not fair that I have student loans. It's not fair. I shouldn't have to pay these back because it's a lot. No one put a gun to your head and made you get a degree in French literature or underwater basket weaving or dance, whatever it is you got your degree. Like, no one made you. You chose to do that. And you said you'd pay back that debt. Psalm 37 says, the wicked borrows but does not pay back. But let me tell you, let me me just clarify this. This isn't talking about you can't pay back. It's not saying that if you can't pay your debt, that makes you wicked. That's not what it's saying. It's saying you intentionally back out or you borrow money you never intended to pay it back. That's basically a form of stealing. And it's not right. It's godly to pay your debt off when possible, when possible. In fact, that's exactly what the son of God did for you. He paid your debt off on the cross. So we gotta do these things in the right order. First, you give back and put God first. Second, you pay your future self by saving. Third, cover your basic needs. Then step four, you get out of debt. And then these last few steps, they're gonna go quick and they can happen in any particular order. But here's step five. Spend money on things you enjoy. Ooh, I like this sermon. It just took a turn for the better. Tell me more, pastor. Some people, they spend too much. Other people don't spend enough. Honestly, I think that's a real problem. Some people don't spend enough. Like, it's great to save. It's great to build up your nest egg. But you can't take it with you when you die. You could be saving. Oh, someday we're going to enjoy what we worked for. Well, you might die. 
You're not promised tomorrow. You need to enjoy the fruit of your labor while you got breath in your lungs. Some people develop a guilt complex, especially Christians, I think, about spending money on nice things or having fun. We don't play that game. Ecclesiastes 3 says this, so I concluded there's nothing better than to be happy and enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. This is awesome. I love that this is in the Bible. I struggle with this sometimes because I have just as much fun saving as spending money. But God gave me the perfect wife. She taught me how to enjoy spending money. (laughs) Responsibly. Yes, responsibly. But it's true. She did teach me how to enjoy the fruit of our labor and realize actually these are gifts from God. I want to talk about two types of false teaching when it comes to money. First, there's the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel basically implies that all Christians should be rich, (laughs) that we should have wealth and luxury. Oftentimes people will teach, if you give money to God, he'll give you more money back. And that, if you're not rich, that must be something wrong with you. That's the prosperity gospel, and it's not biblical. But then the flip side of that is the poverty gospel. The poverty gospel implies like, well, Christians shouldn't care about money. Christians shouldn't have nice things because those things don't matter. Christians, you shouldn't have luxuries because there's poor children in Africa. That's also not biblical. The Bible says that the fruit of our labor is something to be enjoyed and that is actually a gift from God. And you don't know how long you've got on this earth, so you should enjoy life while you can. You might be in a good season right now. I don't know how long it's going to last, so enjoy it while you can. That's actually what the Bible tells us to do. That means this. If you can afford a luxury car, drive it. If you can afford the expensive steak, eat it. If you can afford designer clothes and that makes you happy, wear them. If you can afford having someone help you with stuff around your house, do it. And don't feel guilty about it at all. As long as you're handling your money in the right order, God first, saving, living beneath your means, taking care of debt, then it's good to enjoy the fruit of your labor. The Bible says if we handle money God's way, this is something we can all enjoy. Here's step six. Next, build wealth. Build wealth. When you put God first and experience his blessings in your life, which is what always happens, you live on a budget, you're going to eventually end up with extra money. You're going to end up with extra money. That's a thing. I know this is a message filled with hope for some of you. People have extra money? Yes. And then when you get extra money, you can put that money to work for you. I love on the show Shark Tank, Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, he makes the best analogy of this. He says, I like to send my little dollars out like soldiers. I send them into battle to take other dollars prisoner and bring them back to me. (laughs) I love it. You can make your money work for you and you don't have to make a lot of money to make a lot of money. You just need wisdom and time. Albert Einstein is reputed to have said, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it. Some of you are earning it. Some of you are paying it. You need to understand it. Here's an example of how it can work to your advantage. If you save $200 a month, 
starting at age 25, by the time you reach age 67, if you earn just 10% a year, just 10%, you'll have set aside $100,000, but it will have grown into $1.5 million. It's amazing. Compound interest. And there's different ways you can do this, but one of the best ways is to use a tax-sheltered retirement account like a 401k or a Roth IRA and invest in, I would encourage you to invest in passive stock market index funds that spread your money out across hundreds or even thousands of companies. This is biblical to do this. Ecclesiastes 11 says this, put part of your investment into seven or even into eight ventures for you do not know what disaster might come upon the land. You wanna spread your money out, the Bible says. You don't wanna put all your money in just GameStop. You don't put all your money in just one hot tip or just one company. You wanna spread, because you don't know what's gonna happen. You don't know, some companies might look indestructible, but they might not make it. You wanna spread it out. That's the wise thing to do, and you can build wealth this way. The Bible teaches us to diversify our investments. That's pretty cool. Historically, in the S&P 500, it'll earn about, 8 to 10% a year, an index like that, and just put a little bit aside each paycheck and then forget about it. Just put it aside and pretend like it's gone. Just let it, let it grow. Just give it time to grow. Don't touch it. Put your savings aside in retirement investments like this, and then don't touch it. Leave it alone. Even when the headlines get scary, don't touch it. Leave it alone. Don't panic and sell, 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 sell. Oh, what did I do? Right? Don't be like that. Christians have an advantage when it comes to investing because God's not giving you a spirit of fear. You can sit back when everyone else is losing their mind. And it's going to be okay. I trust God. He's in control. It's not as bad as everyone's making it out to be. Just give it time. Last year in March when everyone liquidated the stock market, sell, sell, sell. If they would have just held, they'd be up right now. You can't time the market. Time in the market is better and more important than timing the market. I know, we're getting into some advanced stuff right now. <laughs> Using your wealth to build wealth is honoring to God. Jesus told a parable about three servants and their master entrusted them with different amounts of wealth. The first two guys doubled their money by investing it wisely. And their master said, well done, you've been faithful, awesome. The third guy he just buried his money in the sand. And the master said, you're a wicked servant. He didn't even lose it. He just didn't use it wisely and invest it. The master said, you could have at least put it in the bank and gotten interest on it. What's the moral of this story? It's that God expects you to make the most of everything he entrusts you with. Your time and your talents and your treasure. This includes money. Proverbs 13, verse 22 says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. This is amazing. This is an amazing goal for all of us to aspire to. Maybe you grew up with nothing. Some of you grew up, no one helped you with anything. No one gave you a single helping hand. Some of you grew up poor, but now that you know Jesus and the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes to the truth, you can handle money God's way and you can build wealth over time and actually leave an inheritance to your children's children and they'll call you blessed and thank God for you. How awesome is it to be able to do that? to leave a financial inheritance, but you know, you could also leave a spiritual inheritance to your children's children. You can deposit truth into them. You can teach them God's word. You can make an impact on their lives that will lead to an eternal difference. This is a spiritual inheritance you can give them. I wanna encourage all of you 
to think about what you're doing with what God has trusted you with. Think about, I wanna make sure that I use what God's given me to make an eternal difference. This world that we live in is filled with charities and good causes, but not all of them make an eternal difference. Only one thing matters for eternity, your soul. Saving souls is the only thing that matters for eternity. So what you do with your money, does it make an eternal return on investment? Will it matter a thousand years from now? And then here's the last step. The last step is to give generously. To give generously. When you handle money God's way, it's gonna lead to blessing. You're gonna be able to enjoy the fruit of your labor. Your kids are gonna enjoy the fruit of your labor. And you're gonna be able to live ridiculously, sacrificially, generously. You're gonna be able to be generous. It's a beautiful thing to be able to bless others and be generous to God this way. In Proverbs 11, it says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Hey, look what this doesn't say. It doesn't say you should be generous once you're rich. It says once you're generous, then God will make you prosper. It says once you refresh others, then God will refresh you. You pour out into others, God says, oh, I like that. I'm gonna pour back into you. You might look at some people around you and be like, man, why do they have more than me? Well, God gives more to people who know what it's for. It's for being a blessing, being generous. In Acts 20, verse 35, it says this. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more, you probably heard this before. You probably read this in a Chinese fortune cookie, but it actually came from the Bible. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It sounds really nice, but I think we should all ask ourselves, like, do you actually believe this? Think about it, just internally for a minute. Not trying to impress anyone. Do you actually believe this? (laughs) I want you to understand, you can't believe it until you live it. You can't believe this until you live it. Once you live it, that's when the light bulb comes on. And you say, oh, Jesus was right. He usually is. It is more blessed to give than to receive. This word blessed, you're gonna be happier giving than receiving. You're gonna be more fulfilled giving than receiving. It's a biblical, supernatural, spiritual principle that you can experience yourself. I wanted you to notice this as we close. I want you to notice that these seven steps, we began and we finished with giving. We first give back to God and put him first, and then We talked about living generous out of our abundance to God and to others. We start and we end with giving. Why? Because that's the entire Christian life. Our Christian life begins with giving. God first gave his one and only son, Jesus, to come into this world to die on the cross, a brutal, painful death, to pay the price for our sins so that we could have our spiritual debt wiped away so that we could be free and forgiven and made clean in God's sight. God gave 
Jesus for us and Jesus gave his life so that we could have freedom. And then think about the end of our lives. The end of our lives, God gives you eternal life, victory over death, and the ability to be in heaven with him and God's people forever. Your life began and ends with giving. And in between, God gives you the opportunity to live for him and make a difference in this world. Living for God is a life, giving upon giving upon giving. We receive blessing upon blessing upon blessing, and we get to give, we get to give, we get to give some more. That's what we do. Can't know it until you live it. You won't believe it until you experience it yourself. Some of you, you, you hear what I'm talking about tonight, and you're like, absolutely, you have experienced it. You know that this is true. This is just a reminder for you. When you're already living this way, you hear a sermon like this, and you're like, oh, I love it. It's such a good reminder. I'm so encouraged. Yeah. If you're not living this way, it's challenging. I know that. It can be really challenging because it's a sensitive issue. That's why Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. When we talk about money, we're really talking about our heart. Some of you, you hear us talking about eternal life and salvation, and maybe you would say, I don't know if I have experienced that. Because you could come to church and ask good questions and learn. You could even put some of this stuff into practice. But none of that actually matters until you cross the line of faith and put your, your trust in Jesus Christ to save you. It's when you say, I'm going to trust Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I'm going to trust that he's the only way to God. He's the only way to be saved. I cannot earn salvation. I can only receive it as a gift by God's grace through faith in Jesus. That's when your name is written in the book of life. That's when you experience it and can truly know you're saved and find eternal life through Jesus. It's amazing. You got to experience it yourself. You got to live it out yourself in order to get this. This won't really all make sense until you actually put your trust in Jesus. And there could be someone here tonight, maybe you know that's you. Maybe you know you haven't actually crossed that line of faith. Maybe you haven't actually crossed the line. This could be your night. So let's just do this right now. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you say, I want to pray and accept Jesus right now, I want to cross that line of faith. I want to go fully committed, give my life to God, and trust him. Then pray this with me. Say, God, I need you. I'm asking you to forgive my sins. I'm asking you to save me. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again so I could have victory and eternal life. Thank you for loving me. I want to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.